Welcome to Belonging Before Believing, the podcast where Nick gets the wordle and Pat sucks an egg. <laughs> Still haven't got it. Patrick Mathers, pastor of the Grace Baptist Church in scenic Orville, California, and Sovereign Joy Christian Fellowship in Party Town, Chico, California. And I'm Nick. Yes. A <laughs> member of Sovereign That's Joy. your job. Introduce yourself. Yeah, yes, yes. I can do that. Member of Sovereign Joy Christian Fellowship. Uh-huh. And, oh, recently I was titled Unicorn Engineer at work. Because you engineered a unicorn or no, you no, can no. do unicorny I a, things? I, I don't know what it means to do unicorny things. <laughs> uh, no. Well, your blood, it would heal. Um, remember Voldemort would it's not what I was intending when I said I was a unicorn of the unicorn and <laughs> trying to bring himself back. Yeah, I do yeah. recall that. Uh, yeah. yeah, no. Okay. No, I'm just a special breed of engineer. Apparently. Oh yeah. It made me feel real special. <laughs> doesn't happen very often. Does it? No, it doesn't. I mean, if pg does. Well, Cause well, they got nobody. Probably shouldn't have said that I worked there. <laughs> Cause they got nobody. Huh? Uh, I'm not going to say much more. Their about bench isn't deep. My job now. <laughs> <laughs> we can all read between the lines, Nick. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, we're not going to have to anymore. <laughs> <laughs> They're not listening. They so don't no, care. No, they are not. They so don't care. You're, you're right. They yeah. Don't. No, they're just up in their big towers counting their monies. I join them on doing. occasion, I guess. Yeah. Well, I, I I go in the tower. Do you count the money? <laughs> <laughs> I look at the spreadsheets. The, that's kind of like it's it. Counting the money. That is the modern equivalent of Scrooge McDuck jumping in his money vault. Yes. Is going <laughs> <laughs> looking on your the phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or spreadsheets. Yeah. No one uses spreadsheets anymore. They don't. Well, I mean, we do. Isn't anything that has numbers that's listed a spreadsheet? Uh, you know, Pat, you make a good point. Everyone uses. Spreadsheets. I'm a unicorn. <laughs> Come full circle. You're a unicorn bastard, Pat. That's yes. Yes. Yeah, you drink the blood of unicorns to heal. No, they drink my blood. Voldemort oh. sucks me dry. Oh <laughs> okay. There are Voldemorts oh. that will I'm I'm getting metaphorical here, that will indeed suck a pastor dry. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh I think it I'll leave that. I th- they exist in in every church I've been a part of. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's always somebody. There is, but not always somebody permanently. Like so they come and go, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes they're they're there, and then they go away, and you're glad for a time, and then somebody else takes their place. You know. This makes me think of, uh, so I was I was reading Mark to my kids last night, Okay. and this thought occurred to me, and this is total tangent from what we wanted to talk about mm-hmm. this episode, but um, I, I was reading about, uh, I was, let me, let me try to back up real quick and articulate what I'm thinking. It occurred to me how much of a servant Jesus was, and there was the story of the rich young ruler. And then afterwards, he's explaining the fact that uh, uh, it's much more difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Um, but through all, but through God, all things are possible. And um, it occurred to me 
Oh, and then shortly after that, um, two of the disciples were talking about who's going to be on the right and left-hand side, right? I yeah, forgot yeah. who it was. Simon and... It's James and John. James and John, that's right. And uh, so then all the other ones got upset. Yep. And then Jesus said that in order to be uh, first, you have to be last and last to be first. And it, in that, it occurred to me that... Isn't that when Peter chimes in, he says, we left all to follow you, you know? Yes, like, yes. <laughs> Leave it to him. I'm pretty last. Yes. Yeah. So am I first? So am I. <laughs> And, uh, and it, but it occurred to me that throughout, um, Jesus's ministry, he is constantly serving those people that he's ministering to. Um, and, and it's, it's done from a attitude of just complete selfless giving where he heals somebody, tells them, don't go tell anybody. And then they go tell people and then he does it to another person and then another person. And it just keeps happening, but he doesn't you know, begrudge people in general and then not heal people. He just right. continues to keep doing it. Right. And then the same thing with like, uh, uh, the feeding of the 5,000 or 4,000 and he just does it and then walks away and it's it. And it, it just, it, in it, fact, after the 5,000, he, the next day gives that story in John six about being the bread of life and runs everybody off, including his disciples are like, questioning if they want to continue and he's like are you guys going to go too and peter's like dude i don't know i mean you got the words of eternal life but it's hard he says there's a hard words yeah but yeah yeah and so it just uh it made me uh feel like so um in need of the spirit in order to emulate that Mm -hmm. like how, how can it's a good segue to our topic which oh, it is, good. is uh, addictions that we're going to look at today because um, we, we do want to emulate that because the whole point of addictions is it is entirely selfish, right? It's I'm consumed with this one thing and I live for it. My, oop, my entire identity is bound up in this one thing. It's all I could think of. It. And if you're going to be truly selfless, then you need to be thinking about others and most importantly about God more than you think about whatever it is that's obsessing your thoughts, your drives, your impulses. Hmm. So really in talking about addictions, we're also talking about how to, um, in getting over those, how to become more selfless. And there's a couple of ways to do it, but we should start with the addiction itself. Um, I think that there are, uh, there's a moral and a spiritual aspect to it, but there's also a physical aspect to it as well, where we are physically consumed with certain things, these chemicals that make us feel a certain way. And then even if those feelings fade away, because those pathways have been formed through the um, us desiring that dopamine effect, um, we continue and continue and continue and they're hard, they're, it's a hard cycle to break, whether it's drugs or alcohol or pornography or, um, well, it could really be anything, but I think those are probably the big three that um, people... Drugs, alcohol, pornography. Pornography yeah. are probably the big three that people are, are addicted to. But you could be addicted to gardening. You could be addicted <laughs> to, to gambling. That's another big oh, one, yeah. you know. Um you know, you could work. be ad- addicted to work. You could be addicted to just being out in the garage fixing your car. You know, I mean, it, it really can be anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
the moral aspect is that you focus on that one thing to the detriment of everything else in your life. And so it can become so all-consuming that, you know, people lose their job, lose their families, lose their house, lose everything, and they're finally out on the street and destitute, still trying to uh, fill this addiction. Um, spiritually speaking, though, I think you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about how selfless Christ actually was and how that if we're going to be Christ-like, then we need to be selfless in that way and be willing, like he says in John 13, to you know, even stoop down and do the worst, dirtiest tasks, washing one another's feet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you're addicted like the disciples were to their own glory and their own praise, they're, you know, you're not going to want to get down on your feet and hands and knees and wash somebody else's feet. You, uh, so this is very much reading between the lines, speculating. Yeah. So the disciples were called and then followed Jesus, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Good job. Was there an understanding? That was speculation. In their, no. Was there an understanding in their mind? Wait, you're the unicorn engineer. Come on, man. <laughs> okay. Okay. When they were following Jesus, yeah, it's clear that uh, all that was revealed to them, like they, there were still a lot that they were like unknown about that they, that they didn't know about Jesus's ministry, the purpose behind it, for whatnot, sure, right? Yeah. And so, um, their understanding of, um. King Jesus was a ruler king mm-hmm. on this earth now. Yeah. And that's not, that was not the case. Right. So right. in their mind though, when they were following Jesus, they thought, Oh, this is the King of Israel. Yeah. And so by following him, they will end up being glorified along with him. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so they had in their mind, exalted. yeah, exalted. Another word. Yes. And so they had in their mind that almost as if that's a motivation, yeah. not following Jesus, but to be exalted along with him. It's a good thing. Yeah. And it isn't until Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit comes upon them that there's really a change in thought. Because in Acts 1, you see them going to Jesus, cool, so now you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus says, dudes, it's not for you to know. Go wait in the room like I told you. And they go wait in the room, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon him, uh, on them, and then Peter preaches that banger. And it's all about Jesus is King David. It's, it's exactly what they were asking Except now he has this insight that he is the king of Israel and it is nothing to do with Rome being overthrown. It has to do with your heart being overthrown mm-hmm. and you need to submit. So in that sense, they really did become exalted, but it was just in a way they couldn't fathom. Right. Even if he tried, to, even if he said the words, here's what's going to happen. Right. I mean, he did that. Mm-hmm. And Peter said, far just, be it from you. Get yeah. behind me, Satan. That's where that whole thing goes from. Right, right. Um, so yeah, even they had a motivation for exaltation there, but, but which kind of comes back to addiction because there's in some sense where we are exalting ourselves over and above everything else. And they did have a desire, an unhealthy desire. Addiction might be a strong word to the idea of right, right. them being desiring to be exalted, but they certainly had a unhealthy obsession or desire for it and it wasn't like it was a uh i imagine that that sort of behavior or um intent was commonplace 
Maybe. Any, any other random person would want to be exalted well, they as all well, wanted, right? They yeah, all wanted They all like, wanted yeah. There was nobody who was like, well, well. <laughs> 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 I'm above you guys. Yeah. None of them were like that. Yeah. Um, the, there's this verse in, it, there's a couple passages in, in, specifically the Bible doesn't really use the language of addiction like we use today. Um, I can say the word addiction and immediately everybody in our modern society understands what I'm saying. We have a category for it. Yeah, because of modern psychology, whereas the Bible doesn't use similar language. So it is a little bit of a stretch, admittedly, to try to impose our modern categories back onto Scripture. It's better, obviously, for us to take what the Bible says and allow that to form our worldview. Um, and if we do that, uh, we're going to, you know, really see a difference in the way a lot of addiction um, ministries and addiction services function, I think. So the, there's a couple passages. One says, wine is a mocker, a strong and strong drink a brawler. So wine and strong drink. It's not beer. It's something a little stronger than that. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. That's probably the verse that closest indicates a nature of addiction. What was that I verse? am led away. Oh, it's Proverbs 20, verse 1. Okay. That I am led away by this desire for strong drink and for wine. Um, and it mocks me. It makes me brawl, but I can't control myself. I'm led like a horse away by these things. So that, that verse to me is the one that jumps out the most in terms of the way we look at it in our day. And you, you brought up um, Proverbs 23, and this is, it's kind of hilarious, but the proverb writer says, woe has, or who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has the redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things, and you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies down on the top of a mast. You'll say, they struck me, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? Then I'll say, I must have another drink. <laughs> it's great. I it mean, so great. It, it, it describes that perfectly. Um, and I think with most addictions we could plug in whatever the addiction is with, the, I mean, of course the symptoms are going to be different. You might not get red eyes from gambling or, you know, that kind of thing. Or you might, yeah, I mean, you're up till 6am till 6am. You're in a smoky casino. Yeah. Dang dude. I went to the casino one time here in Orville. There's two of them um, to go get a try the restaurant. When we first moved here, the gold country one on the no, the other one, the okay. feather falls. And, um, I didn't realize that smoking was still allowed in there. Like, I don't know why I didn't think about it, but I walked in there and my asthma said, nope, you ah. got to go, dude. And then my body said, but dude, it's a buffet. And so we went anyways to the restaurant <laughs> and it was awful. Oh. It was bad. 
That's is bad. bad. I've never had a good experience with casino food, and I've only been like two or three times. Oh, I've never had a good experience with buffets. Yeah. But I haven't gone to the right buffets. Oh, dude. There used to be one in Chico, China Star Buffet, and it was dynamite, but then it got shut down because it was so bad, Filth, filthy-wise. Yeah? Yeah. It's yeah. It's where the boot barn is now there on East Avenue. Yeah. Oh, I think boot barn moved. It did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know what's there now. But it used to be ch- There was so many things. Anyways. <laughs> Back to topic. <laughs> Back to topic. Today, it, so when addictions happen in our day, now the idea is, is, well, you need some kind of therapy. You need some kind of counseling. <clears throat> if it's bad enough, you need to get in a program. And there are obviously going to be um, ones on an entire spectrum of good and bad um, spiritual and secular, uh, everything in between, a uh, weird hoodoo mystical and truly godly for treatments, uh, to biblical addiction. perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. And so when in our modern day, this yeah, is what yeah, you yeah, do. Yeah. The first thing you think when somebody has an addiction, well, you need help. Yeah. You need to go to go this. To you, you, yeah. You need a professional to help you through. Um, the Bible doesn't necessarily speak in those terms. It's, it, it, says you need to be repentant you need to turn to christ you need to repent of your sins for example in ephesians since uh, it's specifically talking about alcohol in, in ephesians uh, chapter five it says let me get there um do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery i mean that's exactly proverbs 23 mm-hmm. there but be filled with the holy spirit <clears throat> don't be filled with wine. Don't be filled with drugs. Don't be filled with the c- consuming desire for pornography or whatever it is. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So immediately the biblical answer is you need Christ. You need to repent. And he's speaking here to the church, right? This isn't non-believers. He's not telling these unbelievers you need to get cleaned up before you come to Christ. Right. You need to fix this before you can have the Holy Spirit. Instead, he's talking, <coughs> pardon me, to Christians um, saying, don't live in this pattern anymore that you used to. Instead, live by being filled with the Holy Spirit. So the first thing for us as Christians that we want to point out is that you need Jesus Christ first and foremost, not necessarily any of those other modern helps that we want to throw out there. So for me, you know, I used to be addicted to drugs. Um, specifically, meth was my drug of choice. <laughs> we all have one of choice. Well, I didn't do things halfway. <laughs> if you're going to do it, do it right. I did, yeah. And so back in the days where I used to rave and um, I'd want to stay up all night partying. And so, um, yeah, meth was the thing that I chose. And when I got saved, so I went up to this camp and I had already OD'd once, and I went up to this camp to, to, to kind of think about getting sober so that I could come back and sell, because I was dealing, too, um, back at these clubs and not be addicted anymore. <coughs> well, the Lord had other ideas, and I actually took some up with me, just in case. Just and in case. Yeah, I ended up flushing down the toilet um, and was pretty excited to do so. Um, when Christ got a hold of me, 
but he did. He got a hold of me, and every once in a while, um, I never went back to it, but every once in a while, like, I'll smell a chemical that reminds me of that. Mm. And still to this day, there'll be a little thing in the back of my mind that's like, ooh, I know that smell, you know? Yeah. And um, it's just part of that physical part of me. So um, I think that with drinking, you know, some people who are addicted to alcohol um, need to repent, get off it, whatever that's going to mean. I think the church needs to come around those people more than they do and help people through these particular addictive issues. Instead, now we farm it out. And we do that with just about everything in the modern American church. Is there some parachurch organization to go to, to go for this, to go for this, to go for this? If you family matters, you go to this particular one. You want counseling issues, you go to this. It's just um, almost yeah. ubiquitous that the church just does this one little thing on Sunday and maybe a few other things. But if you need a real issue, you've got to, you know, go to one of these big ministries for that. So um, I guess an example of that would be a church has someone that's an alcoholic and they need to get clean. Mm -hmm. Um, If they're a church without really much strong theological convictions, they might send someone to a facility or a group of Christians that Mm -hmm. are uh, focused on that. So like, for example, there's that father's house sort of stuff, which just has like a very much a uh, cult. uh, Yes. But it has that, uh, uh, recovery, yeah, it's all it is. Re- recovery yeah, ministry sort of it. thing, yep, right? And so it's done under the guise of being this Christian church sort right. of thing, right? Right. When in fact it's more or less a cult, but it's focusing more on the recovery aspect. Meanwhile, there are people in churches and churches saying, "Oh, well, they like they specialize in this, so mm-hmm. you need to go there to get clean," as right. opposed to them being cleaned up, yeah, with the church support right. that they right. go to, right? And um, I, you know, it uh, that. It, that, sorry. Go ahead. That uh, I feel like that just undermines the entire point of church. Yeah, t- and there's a uh, just by way of illustration with what you're saying. There's also a positive way this happens in the church is that we farm out our leadership and send them off to a seminary so that they can come back, and they don't even come back a lot of times. They'll go to another church and go pastor another church instead of just raising up leadership within the local church, teaching them. With here within the context of the local church so they can lead here where they're at. Um, but that's a positive way. I mean, just the, our church in America, it's so common that there's parachurch organizations, you don't even question it. Okay. I, I kind of, I don't want to talk about that during this episode, right. but definitely as a topic for the future. But the, uh, I guess the, the thread that I kind of want to point out. So we had this discussion a while back um, and it was like a a slogan or whatever that uh, children's ministry won't save your kids. Right. Right. And seminary won't make you a pastor or a recovery church won't cure your addiction. Like there's these things that we have like created within the American church to fulfill these specific roles, yeah. which are all just siphoning away from the church body. Yeah. Okay. My, my, my experience with most, I want to say, uh, um, addiction recovery programs, whatever the addiction might be, is it's an it's essentially uh, it's essentially trading one addiction for another. You're trading the addiction of alcohol, drugs, pornography, gambling, whatever, for the addiction of works and service in the church. Instead of consuming your thoughts and minds with these 
unhelpful things, you're now going to be consuming your thoughts and minds with a daily routine, work you're going to do, things you have to go to, you've got to go to these meetings, you've got to sit and talk about whatever your feelings, you've got to go and hear a devotion every day. So you, you create this order around you, this structure that can be, uh, it has the veneer of Christianity. And I'm not saying that they're all not Christian. Sure. I, the, a lot of them probably, you know, there's a lot of Christians involved in these and they don't know any better. And this right. is what they know. They probably came out of one of these things. And so this is how I got out of it. But they don't realize that now their faith is works-based. And I can't tell you how many times I've tried to point this out to people, even just very recently, like, this is one guy telling me about how, you know, he's doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this. And, and I heard nothing about worship, nothing about repentance, nothing about his faith. In fact, when I asked him about, well, what do you believe? He couldn't even articulate a simple statement of faith. Hmm. And it was his entire life was consumed with works. And I asked him at one point, well, where's your assurance? Or how do you know you're right with God? And he's like, well, look at what I'm doing. Oh, jeez. And that's what this that's what these ministries offer in general, especially the ones I've been familiar with here. Right. It's not to say that they can't bring people to faith. Not to say that they right. can't uh, cure people of their addiction or alleviate their addiction. But the under the foundation of it isn't isn't the primary isn't isn't the gospel. I no. Guess. Right. No. No. I, well, it might be the gospel to get them saved. Really what that means, I think, in that context is that you just believe that Jesus Christ is somehow saving you from your sins. You don't know why. You don't know the wherewithal. You couldn't point to the book of Hebrews in your Bible if you were forced to. But you said the right words at the right time at the right day. <coughs> now, that could produce genuine Christians and genuine faith in some people. Right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Right. So if they heard the gospel, they might actually get saved and believe it. But my experience has been that they've traded one addiction for another. Right. They've traded this entire thought pattern for a new thought pattern. And this thought pattern is just as overwhelming as the old one, but because there's a Bible involved or because there's a cross up on the door or because, you know, we're called the Lord's whatever, that now it's suddenly uh, I'm right with God yeah. along with all the things that I'm doing or well, because of all the things. And, and from the outside, they're exhibiting good behavior traits, like they're being productive and they're nice, but they're not squandering their wealth. They're not avoiding family or anything, right? Well, they're, they're, some of them uh, avoid yeah, avoid everybody because now this is my new family. Right. This is my new people. Right. And that's part of the problem. And one of the reasons I want to point out the cultic tendency of some of these kind of ministries is they become very insular. And if you go against the works that they're doing, you do a work that isn't one that they approve of, you're out. Mm. And so I've seen a lot of spiritual abuse come out of these kind of ministries where you either toe the line here or you're back on the streets and those are the only two options. You know, there's nothing in between. There's no hope. There's no grace. There's no mercy. There's no Christ <coughs> does indeed love you and does indeed want to do a work in you. And it's excluded from your works. Uh, don't work, in fact. Right. And that would be one yeah, of rest the, in him. Rest in him. One of the first things that I want to do with anybody who's a new believer or going through one of these kind of things is to talk about your rest in Christ. And 
um, realize that Christ has forgiven all of that. And well, what do you what do you give them to do? Well, to rest. I, I, I was talking with somebody just like two weeks ago, and I kept going back to this. You need to rest in Christ. But but what do I do? You need to rest in the grace that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, 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 right. I get that. That's the gospel. But what do I do? You need to rest in that. Stop trying to work. Pray in prayers of thankfulness, not prayers of I want something. Just worship God. But what do I do? You rest and you worship. But, and, and we just kept going round and round. There was no headway made because this person could not conceive of resting and that that was okay, that that was the thing, that this person needed to continue to work. Needed works. Needed, needed to works. do something. They had a traded one addiction for another, mm. and they couldn't mentally conceive of not doing these works. I have to do, I have to do, I have to do. And your faith is no better than the Pharisees. And they had orthodox theology, I guess, for their time. <laughs> right. And these people, most of them that I've encountered, don't. Um, so it'd be nice if they had some good theology to go along with <laughs> it. But, they, but even if they, did, if they did, hopefully they'd be um, able to go, oh, yeah, I know to rest. Yeah, or that. at least engage with that and not just in one ear out the other. And I imagine there's some people listening to this who are going to go, but what do I do? <laughs> you know that are going to yeah. ask that like but what does rest look like right that yeah. might be the next question right. well rest looks like you don't immediately inject yourself into five ministries you don't go to every single service you can possibly think of i mean that's the success of aa that's the trading one addiction for another is you trade your alcoholism for these group these people yeah. groups and that's begins to consume your thinking right. yeah, you have you your social social alcoholic mm -hmm. and then you have your social recovery right you think about well what am i going to say tonight at the meeting what what am i going to say well who am i going to who's going to be there what am i going to say to my um sponsor, sponsor yeah. you know when i when i see my sponsor and so this is the realm of where you know you're addicted to something is that's what consumes your thinking we could go back to saying this is an idol in your life oh yeah right because it really is and we haven't, I, exchange one idol well, for I didn't another, intend to draw that conclusion till now sure. because that's really what it is, is <coughs> yeah. exchanging one idol for another, exchanging one, um, one addiction for another. So, I mean, I guess, um, the notion of addiction is kind of, uh, like a subset of idol worship. Yes. Right. Yeah. So that's probably why it's not explicitly framed in the bible as being addicted and something it's like no it's right. just idol so it's worship. idolatry right. yeah yeah so that and that is explicitly right. so so interestingly i we, we're switching here at grace from juice for communion to juice and wine oh not exclusively wine but but there'll be wine along with the juice and if your conscience is free to partake of the the wine and that's pretty cool there has been um, very little pushback. Nobody said anything directly to me. But who does? I don't know. I don't get it. I'm totally like approachable and goofy. I mean, I don't. Am I wrong? Am I not approachable? I, I, we, we've talked about my my own issues with coming to a pastor in the past. Yeah. And it taking six years, seven years, yeah. eight years for me yeah, to yeah. see you as approachable, right? 
That's my own. That's your own. It's my own issue. Not your fault. So, um, but I did hear through the grapevine, somebody mentioned that, well, what about addictions? What about those who are addicted to alcohol? Mm -hmm. And my response is always the same thing. There are several places in scripture where the Bible actually does prescribe drink. Mm, Yeah. Um, A drink offering. Um, There's one place where if you can't make it to the, the the, um, the feast that year, you're supposed to go and sell whatever sacrifice and buy a bunch of food and strong drink and celebrate. Um, the book of Ecclesiastes says that you should give wine to somebody who's grieving and suffering. Um, Paul says, take a little wine for your stomach. That's, and it's all wine. It's right. not like some thing that people make. It's not alcohol. It, it totally is. The most important point that I hadn't made yet is that Christ consecrated wine. Right, yeah. And he knew what he was doing. And he did it for a church that Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. <laughs> and he still yet consecrated the very thing they're told not to be drunk with as the thing you're supposed to take to point you to Christ. Right. So I have said many times, look, if a thimble full of wine causes you to just get off the rails, then you have not left your idol yet. You still have your idol that you're worshiping. You haven't trusted in Christ completely as your Lord and Savior. You might be standing on the fence. You might have embraced him intellectually and emotionally. But if that's the thing that's going to set you back, then you don't have Christ completely as your Lord. Right. You have him as your Savior and a buddy. But to be Lord, you submit to him. And he said, this is what I've consecrated. And so he knew people had problems with it, and yet that's what yeah, he still did. So then, yeah. I feel like he knows better than probably we do. And if we have the question, well, what about the people who are addicted? Well, Christ didn't seem to have a problem with them. Uh, well, and it's it's crazy because like, uh, what was that? The one of the miracles, one of the first miracles he did, or was it the first miracle he did? The first the public first miracle, per, yeah. yeah, where he uh, turned the water into wine. Water right? into wine. And it was a huge party. Yep, and. Huge and and the party was already going 730 on. Seven thirty gallon drums full of wine. <laughs> so the party was already going on for a while. Yeah, and then they ran out of wine. They ran out. Yeah. So they've already consumed a lot. They have. They're they're either very merry or well beyond merry. Well, it went on for days too. It wasn't like a one night bash fair, fair. like ours are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But still, 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 it's a lot. And so I mean. I, I can't imagine that during that party there were some people that were drunk. Oh, for sure. Right. Right. 100%. Yet he still makes wine. Yeah. From water. Right. And lets everyone freely partake of it. Right. So there's a time and a place for yeah. it. Yeah. And so, but and so, what? Regardless of the fact that people have already gone over and above what they probably should have consumed, he still creates the wine for them to consume. Yeah. Because there's still grace and mercy. Right. There still is, and in in that context, it isn't worship. Yes. So it's even more troubling for the person who asked that question. It's not the guy right? in Proverbs 23. Right. right. Yeah, they're at a party. <laughs> they're not stuck on the mast of a ship. Right, right. <laughs> they have to tape themselves on. <laughs> <so they'd> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but cr- there were even people, apparently, because the wine was actually wine, when Paul corrects them in 1 Corinthians saying, you guys are getting drunk. At the Lord's table. Hmm. And he says, don't do that. And the reason part of it is why is that they were not waiting for everybody to show up. Right. They're just the richer people were going on ahead. So we know for sure that the wine that was consecrated is indeed 
alcoholic. And so the problem isn't the alcohol. Right. The problem is the idolatry. Yeah. And so my answer to the person who says, well, what about the addicts is, well, they need to give up their idol. And the way you do it is through being filled with the Spirit, mm -hmm. by trusting Christ, by resting in Him. I rest in His finished work, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. And so when I do partake at the Lord's Supper, I'm grateful. I'm not freaking out and scared like, oh no, this is going to throw me back at you, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm really resting in Christ, then I'm grateful for what I have. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to find a loophole. Is that fear of of uh, backsliding into your addiction from that, like, so just using the idea of a wine for communion and that being the thing that will set you back, um, that there, there's there's fear in that, right? Yeah. And so because there's fear in there, there's a lack of trust yes. in the Lord? Yes, a lack, yes, yes. Um, or a, I know better. Mm. So here's a story that I have that that... Me, before I became reformed, before I understood any of the theology that I do right now, is years ago, I'd just become a Christian. Maybe I'd been a Christian a year, two, maybe two years. Um, I went to a doctor for the first time because I needed an inhaler for my asthma was starting to act back up again. And I sat down across from the table of the doctor and I'm like, Look, I don't want this because I don't want to be, um, oh I don't want to rely on this. I don't. And he's like, "Were you an addict?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I, I was." And he's like, "You need to think about things completely differently. Reliance upon this medicine to help you is not the same thing as you mentally being consumed with the thoughts of this this addiction." And he asked what mine was. And he's like, well, that's why your asthma was better because it was a stimulant and it, <laughs> you know, worked on, it worked, it made you breathe better. Right. But now that you're not on that, it's coming back. So he's like, you need to not think about it this way as if you're now addicted to your inhaler. This is supporting you and helping you. This is something that's actually pointing you towards health. And that's something you want to be dependent on. Blew my mind. Like, you're right. This is something that I want to be. And it isn't trading one addiction for another. <clears throat> it's this is a tool to help me towards better health. Communion and wine is a tool to help you towards better spiritual health. Mm -hmm. It's a tool that God has designed, created, consecrated to point you to him. And that's the way we should look at it. That this is a means to the end of worshiping and glorifying God, not Oh no, this is, you know, I thought I knew better in that moment. And it was fear. I was rejecting it because of fear. I thought I can't do this, but it took that corrective insight to help me get over that hurdle. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird that a, a doctor gave that to you too. Yeah. 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 Not from the church that you were already. Yeah. Well, I, right? yeah, yeah. Well, we, the church I was in, we did not use wine. <laughs> it was all juice <laughs> all sure, day most long. Churches don't use wine, so. Well, a lot don't, and I don't understand it, but that's not the topic yeah. really of today. Uh, yeah. So the one thing I want to ask about is the, the nature of addiction, right? And we you, you kind of alluded to it earlier. We're talking about like the brain pathways and whatnot. And I remember struggling with this, not really struggling, definitely struggle, but the like, okay, I'm addicted, coming to terms that there's an addiction to something, right? And it's as if um, this notion of brain pathways and, okay, your addiction 
it, it doesn't start out as like you're just a full-blown addict, right? Right. It, it's, it's a slow progression um, of that tendency where you're just constantly being all consumed with that thought, right? Uh, it can come on. It depends. It can come on quick. I know. I, I knew a guy who he was a meth user like us, and but he was like um, recreational. He would just do it when he was out clubbing. Me, I got consumed with it. Yeah. And by us, you mean you? Because I haven't done. No, that. no, you, yeah. not you, me, me, and the guys that I used to yeah. party with. Um, uh, but he did at one point do heroin, and. He was gone, and oh, he, he died in months. Yeah, he died in months. Months, wow. months. He 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 OD'd. He just it just got hold of him and consumed him. And I've heard that's the way it is with certain other drugs with sure. certain people too. Sure. You know? Yeah. So so it could happen quick. I, I remember. I think alcohol is different though. It, that takes a little more time. Oh. Okay. But I think because of the fall, we do have these predispositions towards certain addictive things. You know, there are some people who just never struggle. With these things, and I, I think there are there is such a thing to an addictive personality, sure. but Christ redeems those. Right, you know right. those aren't, you know, the unforgivable sin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know he he and there and we're always going to struggle with sin in some form. Here's the church being told by Paul in Ephesians five, don't be drunk. Yeah, what does that imply? That they were drunk. They were still people drinking and getting drunk. Yeah. You know, yeah, drinking to the point of excess. Right. Yeah. Instead, be filled with, be consumed by the Holy Spirit. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, secular treatments for addiction. I guess what what is the uh, what's the approach to try to cure somebody of addiction from a secular point of view, knowing that, um, or I guess assuming that the only factor in their addiction are their brain pathways. Well, I'm. It isn't only just um, physiological in their brain pathways. I, I think that there's probably a disagreement in the secular realm, and there's a lot of still work to be done on their part. And I think that there is somehow an understanding that emotionally we get attached to these things. And so there's people who there are people who are going to try to um, counsel you and help you get over that emotional, mental attachment to these things. And they're going to do it by trying to find reasons why you became addicted in the first place, why you reached out for this. And that's why people will go back and go, well, what was your family life like? And how was your childhood growing up? And look for these traumas that were triggering events to lead you to find something to pacify your thinking, to um, um, escape from whatever these uh, traumas were. Now, the th- there's th- there is some... That is, vi- there is some truth to that. Yeah. Uh, they've they've captured on, c- you know, capitalized on something. We would say, yeah, it's the image of God, and you need to think about the image of God and cons- and focus on the gospel, and those things should motivate <coughs> and change you. They're good things. The the that uh, it, it is good to go back and do probably some of that um, mental work, but the problem is is where that's the end where it can go. Now, there's other probably schools of thought that will say that it isn't just um, emotional, but it is also chemical. And so we need chemical responses for that Oxycontin or, mm. you know, that, that kind of thing. So we'll replace what you're addicted to with something else that isn't quite as bad or that is worse in, de- in some cases and wean you off of it. Um, oh. You know? Yeah. 
on that kind of thing. <coughs> There's um, a, counseling goes hand in hand and going back and trying to figure you out and why you make the decisions you make and why you make the choices you make and why you're the person that, that you are. But um, all it can do is, from a secular fallen point of view, is point you to yourself again. Right. And it's just entirely selfish. And so you are inevitably going to trade one idol for another. You can't help it. That's that's what you can do from a secular point of view. They're obviously not going to call it that. But, you know, I know several people who are addicted to therapy. You know, that that's just... They have to go rules their life. It's like they are befuddled that I'm not in therapy or, you know, that kind of thing. It, you think that's so um, there are moments where uh, you kind of like have an aha moment like, oh, like that. I, I get I get it now. Like it makes so much more sense. Like a, a veil has been lifted on your eyes. And you now feel more enlightened. Right. Yeah. That. So I've I've come to f- um, realize in myself that that sort of feeling is almost like an addictive feeling for myself yeah where i just like i, I love that feeling of just like something clicks mm-hmm. and it now all makes sense and i can imagine if you're going to therapy and you're talking to a therapist and they connect some dots from your past to how you behave now it may not even be the actual dots to connect but it makes sense and so you just so then you just keep going back to understand yourself more and yeah. more and yeah i guess okay yeah and um i've I've counseled a couple of people who I try not to um, do this kind of counseling with unbelievers, especially if once they've heard the gospel, they're just not wanting any of it Um, because I can offer very little hope. Oh, yeah. One guy in particular I can think of what had this addiction and I, he did not, he was not interested in the gospel. He was polite and kind. He wasn't um, aggressive or anything, but he was just like, that's not for me, pastor. That's just not for me. I just want to get over this thing. So I said, well, let's go back and look before this particular thing captured your mind and captured your emotions. It was there something else that was similar that was better. And he's like, yeah, going to the gym. He's like, I, that's all I did. And he's like, but then we got married and then I had kids and then this. And I'm like, well, you just need to start getting up earlier and go to the gym. And I told him, I'm like, you need to trade this one addiction for this other addiction. You're going to become addicted to that, but you've got to do it. Otherwise, this is going to ruin your marriage. You're going to lose your job. It's going to ruin your family. I mean, you're gonna, you don't want to hear the gospel. I want you to go to church. I want you to get plugged into a group of Christians who can come around you and support you. You don't want that. So the only advice I can give you, the best advice, is that you need to trade this one thing for another. And he did. And he's all in. Still every once in a while talk to him. And he's at the gym seven days a week. He's running tons. He's doing all kinds of things. Um, But it's, it's, um, you know, just unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I guess fortunately that I could help him a little bit, um, but unfortunately there was nothing else I really I could do for him spiritually. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, think I hate that. I it's not ever the, ever the direction I wanted to go, because then all I've done is created somebody who's now going to hell in a different way. Right. Well, now they think that they're better in their own eyes too. He does. Right. He th- he thinks it's all good. Yeah. 
Um, he he's, hasn't said, see, I didn't need church, yeah, but he's kind of like, like not yeah. gave me a nod. He like, even yeah. has less need to see. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But, uh, you know, what was worse? Should I have just left him I, there right. and say, well, yeah. then. His wife and kids would have suffered right <clears throat> along with him. Everybody around him right. would have suffered. Yeah. It would have been a bad thing all the way around. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, I've got to live with my own conscience with how it went. And sure. I feel confident that I helped some and, you know, did the best I could with that guy. Yeah. But yeah. Hmm. Anyways, it's not comprehensive, our talk about addiction, but no, um, it is not. gets the mental wheels turning. Do they do that? Yeah. Do the mental wheels turn, Nick? Uh, Cogs, mental cogs. Cogs. Yeah. Cogs turn. They do. They do. I still don't have the wordle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm not going to get it today, I don't think. I think I'm going to I'm going to bust out. So, anyways. It's unfortunate. If you do the wordle, um hit us up and maybe we'll put you in a little group and we'll do all the wordle together. Oh, a group of wordle people. <laughs> Anyways, uh, whether you wordle or not, or you're addicted to something else, uh, we believe that you...